these are kids that no one's really looking out for them in the education system. If they don't learn how to read by second grade, they're going to be behind in their entire childhood. Many are passionate about tech for its power to create social impact, but what does that actually mean and how does one go about making change? Hey there and welcome, I'm Kate Chen and you're listening to Roads Less Taken, an initiative to explore the paths and careers many students dream about doing, but never actually pursue. This week, I'm talking to Carolyn McLeod, a computer science teacher at a charter school in New York. After interning at a tech company two years ago, Carolyn abandoned the Silicon Valley and decided to build software for a rape crisis nonprofit in South Africa. After graduating from Duke with a bachelor's in computer science, Carolyn found an interest in edtech and decided to start her career as a teacher. In this episode, we'll be uncovering why she turned down big tech and how she hopes to unconventionally leverage her skills to make impact. Thanks so much for being here, Carolyn. It's so great to have you. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. So I have to say, when I first learned of your path, you know, starting as a software engineering intern at Fanatics and then interning for this rape crisis center in South Africa, and now being a teacher, I was really taken aback because I've never met anyone who's done all three of those things. Um, so take me back to how it all started. What was that first internship like to really lead you to pursue all those other unique opportunities? Honestly, there were pros and cons to it. I love tech, the problem-solving aspect of it, the creative aspect. But that entire summer, I think I just never felt like it was the best fit for me because I, I didn't feel like the work that I was doing had any kind of meaning, personal meaning for me. The problems were interesting that I was working on and I learned a lot of technical skills, but I just wasn't excited about getting up and going to work every day. So it was basically, Fanatics is like a sports e-commerce company. The problems that we were working on every day, I was just like, does this really matter for anybody's lives? Like maybe we can make, we're spending eight hours a day, five days a week working on these like small technical tweaks, kind of just like optimizing the app. I was on the mobile app team, like making the experience maybe better for people using the app. But why is that? How is that impacting society? How is that making anyone's lives significantly better? What am I working towards? Like, this might be interesting on a day-to-day basis, but what is the larger picture here? I love that you were asking those questions because I feel like even full-time employees ask that, you know, okay, I'm making this button bigger or, okay, I'm improving this performance by 1%, but who am I really impacting? So going into your junior year, how did you even think to apply to a rape crisis nonprofit in South Africa? And what was that process really like in determining what you wanted to do for the next summer? I ended up after my summer in the Bay Area kind of leaning towards trying to find something in the intersection of technology and social impact because I still really liked the a lot of things about tech, but I was just like, I need to apply this to something that I find more meaningful. And so something that I had done some work with at Duke previously and just care about in general is... Um, sexual violence just around the world. So I started reaching out to nonprofits in that sector and seeing if there was any kind of like technical support needed anywhere I could be useful at all. And I actually ended up finding one um, in Cape Town, South Africa that 
really needed a tech person, which was kind of a crazy coincidence. They were trying to roll out a mobile application where survivors of sexual assault could chat with their crisis counselors if they couldn't physically come into the office and like receive mobile counseling. So they were looking for an app development person to do that. And that happened to be my skill set. So I applied for a Duke Engage independent project, which is basically where you like pitch your project to Duke. Um, They either fund it or they don't. And it turns into a summer internship. So I, and I went to South Africa to work there for the summer. I would love to dive into how you actually found this rape crisis nonprofit, because I feel like it's not very common to see engineering internships at nonprofits in general, much less ones in South Africa. So how did you really find it? Just literally like searching online and, and cold emailing. I probably sent out like 200 cold emails to different like highly ranked impactful nonprofits. And this crisis center is actually the only sexual violence crisis center in Cape Town. And South Africa has kind of a long, complicated history with sexual violence. So I was interested in that area in general. And then literally just started like emailing everyone. (laughs) I think I probably got like 10 emails back out of 200. But I think that's just what you have to do sometimes. And it worked out really well. So... And obviously, this experience working with a rape crisis nonprofit is much more closely related to social impact than probably a sports e-commerce website. And so what was that internship experience actually like? And how did that bring you closer to creating social impact? I thought it was an awesome experience just in terms of personal growth as well, because I showed up to Cape Town completely alone, like found housing by myself, had to plan this whole experience and basically showed up to this nonprofit center that doesn't have interns. They don't have an internship program or anything like that. So I had to kind of take the initiative to like reach out to key stakeholders, important people that I felt like I should talk to, to identify the needs, like where could I be of most use to them? So it was basically like designing my own internship. I was the only tech person at the nonprofit. And so they kind of were coming to me with all of their random tech needs, which um, is a cool feeling to like really see. I mean, I was a junior at the time, so I had like some basic programming skills and app development skills, but definitely wasn't like an expert at all. But I felt like I was having this real impact. And even if I didn't know how to do something that they needed, I figured out how to do it because I was like the only option, basically. So it was a cool feeling. It was an awesome experience. That's amazing that you were able to get that responsibility and opportunity being so young and in college and, you know, not really having an extensive software engineering experience, but definitely being able to contribute to the team. I'm curious, like, what was the actual app that you ended up building and how is that being used at the Rape Crisis Center? Yeah, so as I was leaving at the end of the summer, they launched kind of like a pilot program of it. And we're trying to see like, is this something that women in the community would actually use? How many people would use it if it were an option? And it did really well. And so they rolled it out as like a full-time option. It's an app for women in the surrounding communities. It's definitely kind of a tricky area because they're not able to provide full remote counseling. They just don't have the resources for that. So it's kind of like a bridge for women who are maybe interested in receiving crisis counseling, but haven't made up their minds yet. So they'll chat with a counselor for like a preliminary session and then start coming into the office. 
but I still feel like it was a success overall and I think they feel that way as well so I'm sure and it's amazing that you were able to provide exactly what they were looking for and they were really able to provide that intersection that you were looking for and so going into your senior year you just finished this kind of perfect internship at Cape Town um What were you really thinking in terms of roles for yourself for full time? Did you feel the pressure to go back to big tech? Um, Just where was your head at during that entire senior year recruiting period? I definitely felt that pressure. I think every senior at Duke does, honestly, as people start updating their LinkedIn and everyone's talking about it, everyone's going through recruiting. And it's tough to resist that because you feel like you're missing out on this opportunity that you'll never get again. And I just felt like I was being stupid at times, but I don't know. I just kept coming back to how I felt about my internship at Fanatics. And I don't think I would have even felt motivated to work really hard at a tech company on projects that I didn't find meaningful because I just felt like any role that I had at those huge companies would be just tweaking something. Like you said, tweaking some minor feature of an app. I know what inspires me and what will make me want to work really hard. And um, it's not those big tech companies. So. Mm -hmm. And did you consider going back to the rape crisis nonprofit and how did you really end up in teaching? Because that seems like such a departure from what you were doing before. So how did that really happen? I did think about that. Um, I actually pretty seriously considered it, but it just wasn't really feasible as a full-time job, at least not right now. They didn't even have the resources to hire me as a full-time employee. So maybe in the future at some point, it wasn't an option then, but I kind of started to look at other areas in the same intersection of social impact and technology, because that's where I feel like I'm the happiest and what is the best fit for me. Um, And I started thinking about ed tech. So like education technology, that's another area that I've always been really interested in. Basically the inequalities within education in the US and why they exist. How can we harness technology to figure out these issues? So I started looking at like ed tech startups, things like that, and ended up just going into teaching, (laughs) which I think is a really useful experience for me, at least for the next year or so. I think it's really interesting to kind of get like an on the ground experience with the issues in education right now. I think that'd be useful in any role within ed tech. I learned about this school through a documentary, actually, it's called Waiting for Superman. And it's about basically education disparities in the US, like why are we just completely failing some kids in some areas of the country and they don't receive a basic education at all. And it focuses on New York City, how a lot of public schools in New York City are just failing. And so there's this charter school network that has popped up called Success Academy Charter Schools, which is a school I work for. They're basically trying to fill the gap in the education system in New York. And so I was just really inspired by this documentary and started researching the charter school network more because I felt like it was doing this really impactful work and kind of starting to figure out some of the issues with education in the U.S. They have open positions and they hire a lot of new grads. And so it was kind of just a happy coincidence. I love that you were able to find that job literally through a documentary. Um, I think that's such a unique way to really get involved in something that you're passionate about. So can you tell me a little more about what it's actually like to be a teacher? Because I think it's one of those professions that, you know, everyone has experience with teachers in some way, but not a lot of people actually know what the details of the role are, especially with 
probably school being remote, it's kind of a whole new world. So could you just tell me a little bit more about what that's like? Right. Yeah. So it's been completely virtual um, this entire year. It's actually for second graders. So it's been really interesting watching them try to navigate being online and stuff. It's very eye-opening. The neighborhood that my school is in, basically there there is no great option for schools for these kids. The public school in the neighborhood is a disaster. Um, so this charter school is basically their only opportunity for a, a really good quality education. A lot of the kids, both of their parents work, so they are alone in the house for most of the day and they're six and seven year olds. So that can be tough both on them and just logistically the class working. Um, they have all kinds of like tech issues and Wi-Fi issues. And I would say a lot of my day is spent trying to like navigate that. I just never realized kind of the situations that some families are in. I mean, I was lucky enough to grow up in a school district that had great public schools. So I never had to think twice about the school that I was districted to, but like these kids, it's, kind of their school either makes or breaks their entire education. It's kind of the luck of the draw. Like some public schools in New York are just horrible and you won't, most of my kids came from public school and like didn't even know how to read when they started out in the class. So yeah, it's been a big learning curve, but very eye-opening and feels very meaningful to me. That's crazy that you're teaching computer science to literally second graders. Like, I don't even think I knew what a computer was in second grade. The great thing that this school is doing, exposing them to, they take like chess classes and computer science, they take all kinds of things. So that's awesome. I wish I had exposure to that when I was a kid. And you mentioned that you're at a charter school. Can you elaborate on the distinction between a charter school and a public school? Charter schools are run more like a business would be. They're not for profit or anything, but they're very outcome driven, I would say. They do a lot of looking at the data and like comparing outcomes and all of the decisions that they make are based on that. So to me, it's a better option for some reasons in some scenarios because they're basically just looking at does this teaching approach work or not work and like constantly looking to improve upon their approach. So they have a little more autonomy than public schools would. They are kind of controversial because they sometimes can take funding away from the public school in the district. But I think the way that some people think about it is like public schools in this country have had decades to improve their approach and they're still failing, many of them. So yeah, I have mixed feelings. I think there are pros and cons to both, but I have seen a lot of the ways that charter schools can have a huge impact on people's lives and provide this other much better option in districts where the schools are just are not good. Mm -hmm. That's a great way of describing it because I've always heard of charter schools, but I never really knew exactly what they are. And I think teaching is definitely a profession where people really underestimate how much work goes into it, especially in trying to help students and ensure their success. So can you walk me through your day to day? I definitely am guilty of like underestimating the work that teachers do. It's a lot of planning. I think the amount of planning decreases a lot every single year because you can use lesson plans from the previous year. But right now for me, I would say the majority of my time is spent just planning the next day. So basically I'm teaching from around 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. And then I pretty immediately will start like reflecting on that day and planning for the next day and planning for tests, planning with the other second grade teachers, things like that. And then 
it's a lot of coordination with parents and families, one-on-one tutoring with kids after school. There are 34 kids in my class, so I kind of feel like I'm always just stretched very thin trying to manage everyone and make sure no one's falling behind. And it's just been pretty eye-opening because I feel like a lot of these families have really been very vulnerable with me and like a lot of these families are having really tough times with the pandemic. So I've been kind of trying to work with them to make sure that no one is falling behind and everyone's needs are being met. So it's a lot of parent phone calls, parent meetings, things like that at night. It's kind of my whole life right now, but still no complaints. Yeah. And definitely everyone is working a lot more. I feel now that everyone's kind of working from home. And so being able to dedicate your time to something you really believe in, I think is really great and really admirable. Just focusing on this concept of social impact, it's definitely a buzzword that gets thrown around a lot nowadays, but what does social impact mean to you and how are you really able to see that through your job as a teacher? I agree that it gets thrown around all the time. It's this big buzzword now. I think anything that quantifiably and tangibly impacts others' lives in a positive way to me is social impact. Obviously, that's super broad, but I mean, how you quantify that would have to be based on the work that you're actually doing. I think, at least for me, in terms of my role right now, things like the kids' reading levels is one way that I quantify my own success in impacting their lives. So that's not a huge social impact that I'm having, but it's something small that I can have some kind of impact on that I believe will better set them up for success. No, and I totally don't think that's a small impact at all. The effect that you have on these kids as second graders is going to stay with them literally every year from now on. And it really does kind of cascade into this bigger impact and bigger effect you're making on all these students over the years. And so kind of thinking about your job as a teacher is so different from anything you'd be doing as an engineer, but maybe referencing your time at Fanatics or any of your friends who've gone into software engineering, how would you really compare your experiences? I would say that I feel really lucky in my job every day because no matter how bad the day is or how fed up I am with something at work, something like that, I still have great days because I feel like my work is inherently meaningful to me. Working with kids one-on-one each day, taking those, having those small wins every day where I feel like my kids are starting to understand things or... It's just really, this sounds cliche, but honestly, like joy-filled work for me, having that sense of meaning. And um, I think it's been an especially tough year to start in a full-time job with everyone being remote. So a lot of my friends are struggling, I think, a little bit more than they would be because it can be kind of lonely, I think. And if you don't have a strong personal reason for wanting to do your job every day, It just makes it that much harder when you are struggling with a specific thing at work. I love the emphasis you put on finding personal meaning in your work, even though it might be hard, even though you might be struggling. And I definitely think teaching is one of those jobs that a lot of people might be interested in, but they have a lot of reservations because there is this notion that, you know, you don't get paid well. It's not regarded prestigiously. It's not respected as much as it should be. And it is a hard job. Did you really think about those kinds of things when you decided to become a teacher? And especially, you know, living in New York, it's a very expensive place. What were your kind of thoughts around that when you're making this decision? 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. That was one of my concerns as well, honestly, um, especially living in New York, which is like probably one of the most expensive places you could pick to live in the US. I would say I found it to be completely livable um, and doable in New York. I just think there's no comparison in terms of how happy you are or how meaningful your work is to you and the salary that you're making. Like, obviously I'm making a, a fraction of the salary that I would at a big tech company, but I feel like the personal growth that I get to experience and just the relationships that I'm building. And I think you can't really put a price on that. I think it's doable. You're not going to be rich, <laughs> make it big from being a teacher, but it's totally worth it to me. But I do think you just have to figure out your own priorities and whether that would be worth it to you. I totally agree. I think big tech really skews everyone's understanding of what a good salary is. And I think it also inflates our perspective of how important having that really high salary is. Because when you see all these college students coming out of college making $100,000, it's kind of like, oh, I should be making that much. But if you really have a passion and it's not going to pay as much as big tech, I don't think money needs to be as much of a priority as we sometimes make it seem. So I know teaching wasn't exactly what you were expecting yourself to be doing after graduation. How long do you want to be teaching and what do you hope to be doing after teaching? I don't think I see myself in teaching in the long term, but I think that educational technology is a huge growing area that I would love to be in potentially for a career. I think just even as a teacher right now in the classroom, I'm seeing all of these really cool new softwares that are popping up to, especially in this time with virtual learning, that actually make huge differences in kids' education. There's a lot of social impact to some of these startups too. They are definitely kind of leveling the playing field for kids and providing a really high quality education to some kids that wouldn't normally get it or have access to it. So I could definitely see myself at some place like that. I probably it's probably a few years down the road, but <laughs> I think it's a really interesting area. For sure. There's been so much innovation surrounding ed tech lately, especially because of remote learning, remote work, everything. You mentioned that there's been some really cool stuff popping up lately. Has there been anything that really sticks out to you or anything you've been using in your classroom that has been really impactful? So there are all kinds of like educational games, basically like literacy focused games for kids who are struggling with reading or have any kind of like developmental reading disorder and it just makes it really fun for them to learn these targeted literacy based skills and makes a huge difference for some kids that are really far behind or below grade level in reading so even basic things like that I think are just making such a difference. And then also I think virtual reality or augmented reality in the classroom is going to be huge. I've seen that start to blow up and I think that that has the potential to just make learning much more engaging and immersive for kids. Things like a tour of the inside of the brain for neuroscience classes make learning so much more engaging. It could just totally revolutionize education as we know it and make things so much more immersive and make the curriculum so much better than it is right now. So I think it's very exciting. Mm -hmm. And I am also looking forward to actually 
having teachers be more on the ground level of creating this kind of technology as well. I think a lot of times when we talk about social impact in tech, it kind of feels like the engineers are always the outsiders or they don't fully understand the space that they're working in. And so that's why I think it's so cool that you started off as a teacher, even though you intend to go work as an engineer at an ed tech company eventually. One thing I did want to ask is, are there any misconceptions about being a teacher that you'd want to debunk? I just think it's interesting that it is a very abnormal track out of Duke. Um, I can think of like one other person that went into teaching from my graduating class. It doesn't get enough consideration. (laughs) I think it's a great option. Even if it's not your long-term goal, I think it just teaches you a lot about the world and people in general inequality in education in the U.S. is a huge problem that we don't spend enough time talking about or thinking about. Mm -hmm. Teaching is definitely one of those professions that I think people really dismiss because it, it seems like such a stagnant industry. You're always working within the confines of government or the educational system, and they are very slow to innovation. And so I think that's definitely something that turns people off from the idea. But it is so important to have good teachers. And we're really seeing that now with our current American education system, is that our schools are failing our citizens. So there is tremendous space to make social impact. Looking back at your Duke experience, what do you think are some of the reasons people didn't consider teaching over some of the more standard tracks like banking, consulting, or even tech? It's way harder to figure out how you personally define success than to just follow a track that is considered successful for sure you kind of have to seek out the advising that you need for a less conventional track. Like you have to be the one reaching out to people that can tell you more about it instead of just being presented with the resources you need, which I feel like would be the case for one of those other three tracks. It's harder in general to like really reflect and figure out what's important to you, not to like discredit any of those other paths. I think they're all great options, Um, but I think it just it doesn't come as naturally to a lot of people. Yeah, and that's the thing too. I mean, everyone comes into college so young, so fresh, and it's like, okay, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? And in front of you, you have all the resources, you know, all the clubs, all the upperclassmen who have followed these paths that are really telling you, this is exactly how you get a job that pays super well at a prestigious company. And It's hard to shut that down and say, okay, I don't want to take this path that is laid out for me that basically leads to guaranteed success. Instead, I want to do something that no one's done before, that no one understands how to do, and I'm going to figure it out for myself and make it work. And so when you were at Duke, what were some of the resources that you found helpful, either to go into teaching or even when you wanted to intern at a sexual assault nonprofit? How did you really figure that out for yourself? Um, I did a lot of LinkedIn stalking of people who had come out of Duke and just done things that I thought were cool. I just reached out to a lot of people that like I could kind of see what they were doing on their LinkedIn, but I was like, I don't understand the path you took. Can you please explain this to me? And I think that there are just all of these people out of Duke that are doing really cool stuff. It just doesn't get publicized because all that you hear about is like the common career paths. And um, so, yeah, I sought out a lot of people just like cold emailed or LinkedIn messaged just for basically like informational interviews. I just like grilled them on what they were doing. Duke Engage was really helpful for me because the team basically behind the independent projects that you can apply for, they're all about this kind of thing. They're all about like forging your own path, figuring out what's meaningful to you. 
So they um, were really helpful, the Duke Engage team. And kind of going back to your internship, I mean, you were really young, you had limited experience, and a lot of times, like these big companies take in really fresh engineers because they spend the time training them. But at nonprofits, that's not necessarily the case. And so did you ever really have to prove yourself? If you just put yourself out there and cold email a ton of people and kind of just like pitch yourself, people are more likely than you would think they would be to give you a chance and at least give you give you a shot. (laughs) I did cold email a lot, even though it it can be awkward. Sometimes I just like put myself out there for opportunities that I wasn't sure if I had a chance at, but thought I might as well try. You don't really have anything to lose. So I did a lot of just reaching out. And I think at this point in your life too, people don't expect you to have done that much. Like we're kind of lucky because We don't have to prove ourselves that much. I just graduated from college and people will give you a shot usually. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining me. It it has been really eye-opening to learn about your path. I mean, you were one of those people where I was like, I don't understand how she did all of those things. So it's been really nice to hear about your journey. Do you have any advice for anyone who might want to follow in your footsteps? I would say just take the time to reflect on what aspects of your experiences thus far have made you the happiest like what have you been excited to wake up and do and kind of run with that and just start reaching out to people who you see on LinkedIn who you've heard of most people are so happy to talk to you about their experiences and will happily give you a ton of information um, and connect you with people so I think yeah just reflect reach out to people get more information and then just get comfortable with pitching yourself and knowing what you're good at what you have to offer the less conventional tracks out of Duke are very doable. People just don't always see them. (laughs) They're less visible. Well, thank you so much, Carolyn, for joining me today. It's been really great learning about your journey, especially as another CS graduate. I think it's really uncommon to see people not going into engineering roles or tech roles. And so I loved learning about your story. And thank you so much. 